Hello and welcome back to the latest Moneymakers Investment Trust podcast. I'm Jonathan Davis, the editor of the Investment Trust Handbook. And with me again today is Simon Elliott, Head of Investment Trust Research at Winterflood Securities. We're going to kick off as normal this week, Simon, by talking about the markets. Uh, we said it, we had a little sunny one a couple of weeks back. This week, I'm looking out of pouring rain. And uh, I wonder how the buoyant the markets have been in these conditions. Well, I think you make a good point, actually, because rather like the weather, the markets have been a little bit choppy over the last week or so. We saw a bit of a sell-off on Wednesday, halfway through the week, though we'd largely recovered the lost ground by the end of the week. But certainly the, the wider UK market in the form of the FTSE All share will probably end up slightly in negative territory, down about 0.2%. Investment companies have fared slightly better. They should be uh, in the positive camp, positive territory, probably up about half percent or so. And we've seen the sector average discount somewhere between two and a half and three percent. And that compares to an average of just over three percent for the year to date. But just to remind people, all things considered, it's not been a bad year for investors in the wider UK market, probably up about 10, 10 and a half percent so far this year. The investment trust sector has lagged, and that's in contrast to what we saw last year but slim positive territory up about 2.5%. But clearly the markets are very preoccupied with inflation. Are we going to see a rebound in inflation as economies open up? And what will be the response to that from central banks? Are we going to see interest rate rises? There's a lot of pondering of various bits and pieces on the economic data as and when that arises, looking at uh, pressures on supply chains and labour shortages and rising costs. But it remains to be seen whether um, inflation is a blip, an inevitable blip, or something that will require a coordinated response. Yes, it is the big question that everybody is talking about. And of course, in a way, that's good news, because the more people talk about it, the more it hits the media, the more it's in the headlines, the more it's going to be priced into where the markets are. And so if we actually go through this period when people have been debating inflation, whether it's going up or not, and whether it's going up short term, long term, or whatever... Uh, it will eventually be incorporated into people's expectations in the price. And we will see whether that settles down or not. Uh, there were some slightly better economic data out of the US uh, this week, I've noticed. And that helped the US market to pick up today anyway. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. But uh, you're quite right. Inflation at the top of everybody's to-do list, if you like, or to-think list, I should say. Not to-do list, to-think list. And uh, that was borne out by the latest uh, survey of global fund manager opinion, which showed that inflation had risen to the top of people's concerns. So putting that all aside and getting back to uh, talking about uh, the investment trust world and, uh, of course, our long-term perspective on this. But let's start off with some key corporate activity. And I think the first name to mention is the Acorn Income Fund, AIF, Acorn Income Fund, where I think there's going to be a change of manager. That's right. We had proposals from the Acorn Income Fund this week to appoint BMO, Global Asset Management, as its manager and adopt a sustainable global equity income investment strategy. Uh, so just to remind people who are perhaps unfamiliar with Acorn Income Fund, I think you could describe it as a hybrid investment trust at the moment in as much as 70 to 80 percent of its portfolio is invested in UK smaller companies uh, and 20 to 30 percent, i.e. the balance is in an income portfolio. The former is managed by Unicorn Asset Management and Fraser McCursey and Simon Moon, while the latter, the income portfolio, is managed by Premier Mighton Investors and Chung Lee and Robin Willis are responsible for that one. But the other thing to note about Acorn Income Fund, it's a, a split capital fund. It has a zero dividend preference share, so it's quite geared at the end of March 
Um, I think that gearing stood at something like 56%. Uh, and that's reflected, obviously, by the fact that the income portfolio, that's largely offset by that. But it does mean it has quite a high yield. So this represents quite a big change from where it's been historically. Uh, and the board initiated a strategic review towards the end of last year. There's a continuation vote coming up on uh, this one. It has a five-yearly discontinuation vote, to be more precise, and that's uh, going to happen in August. Uh, And so they kicked the tyres, they considered the future for this particular company, and uh, obviously came up with the idea of switching the mandate and appointing BMO. So uh, going forward, the proposal is that the manager will be Sasha Elkuri with Nick Henderson as his alternative The portfolio will be relatively concentrated between 30 and 50 companies, and they will all be aligned to positive sustainability themes. The initial portfolio yield uh, will stand about 3.5%, so it's likely that the the dividend will fall on this one, and its name will change to the BMO Global Sustainable Equity Income Fund. The management fee will also be reduced down. But shareholders get a chance to, to vote on this one. Uh, and I think we're waiting uh, for the circular. I think the circular is due to come out uh, in July. But the idea, I think, in, in August, at the same time as the discontinuation vote, that these proposals will all be put in front of shareholders and they'll be able to have their say. So they're going to get a menu of choices effectively. So it was perhaps uh, a curious structure before. You can see how it might have happened, but uh, it obviously sort of roping together two uh, managers and strategies from different investment houses. Obviously, the board decided that isn't going to continue. Uh, so, but they're also taking it out of the UK. I think they're in the equity and bond income sector, aren't they? And they're putting them into a global sustainable mandate. So it definitely is all change. Would you like to hazard a view as to how this might go down with the shareholders? Yeah, no, it's a very good question. I mean, look, it's a, it's a really interesting proposal. And, and again, to put it into some context... We have seen other investment trusts adopt similar uh, strategies recently. So we've talked not that long ago about Dunedin Income Growth, uh, which is not changing its manager, but it's adopting an enhanced ESG approach. Uh, Keystone Investment Trust, which is now Keystone Positive Change, that was a UK equity income fund that moved to uh, Bailey Gifford. uh, And that's uh, investing in global equities, but very much as the name would suggest on a positive change basis. And more recently, we talked about a Lion Trust's uh, proposed new issue, their IPO, which again is, is focused on global equities with, with an ESG sustainable approach. So this is something that's very much of the, of the here and now. Clearly, uh, ESG is something that a lot of people are talking about. Uh, and this proposal obviously fits into that, uh, but clearly quite different to where it is at the moment. It's worth noting, certainly at the end of March, they had gross assets of 95 million but that included effectively the gearing. Uh, and that zero dividend preference share uh, is due to be repaid uh, in February next year. Now, it's not clear yet exactly the process around that. Is this fund going to be geared up until the moment that's repaid or will there be an early repayment? The details haven't been forthcoming on that. So there's, I think there's a few questions there for shareholders uh, that shareholders, would, I suspect, would like answered. So just quickly then on the performance of this trust and uh, how it's regarded by the market, obviously complicated by the zero dividend preference shares. But the ordinary shares, how have they traded and and what's been the performance like for those uh, investors who didn't have the zero dividend preference share? Yeah, so over the last 12 months, the ordinary share class has averaged about a 15% discount or so. It's a little bit tighter than that at this moment in time, probably about 13. Unsurprisingly, given that geared structure, you you do get a pickup in the yield. So it's got a a yield on a historic basis of about 6, 6.3%. In terms of its performance record, well, if you go out over five years, it's got an NAV total return of about 43%. 
uh, and that compares with the FTSE small cap of 67%. So that's not like for like because, as mentioned, it's not just a UK smaller company's portfolio. It's got that bond element as well. So that's possibly a little unfair. But if you also look at it in its peer group, there's the Aberdeen Smaller Companies Income Fund, and that's up 90% over that five-year period. So it's certainly behind that particular fund. Okay, so we'll find out more about that, how that one goes down when we get to the uh, the vote later on. Let's move on and talk about uh, BH Global and uh, BH Macro. These are the two Brevin Howard hedge funds that we've talked about quite a lot in the last few weeks because after some toing and froing, they have been persuaded to go for a merger, these two trusts. What's the latest news on this one? Well, this seems to be moving on a pace, frankly. You know, as we've discussed before, mergers are, are relatively infrequent in the investment company sector and then seem to take an age to actually happen. In this particular case, though, and obviously, as you noted, there's a few large shareholders quite keen to make this happen, uh, as is the investment manager, that this one does seem to be moving to, to some kind of agreement. So this week, we found out that the, the fund being BH Global, they announced that they anticipated heads of terms to be signed in the very short term regarding a combination with BH Macro, and that would be via a scheme of reconstruction. And as mentioned, the larger shareholders have signalled their support in principle for the scheme, particularly given the, the cash option accompanying that. And, and that was a function of the fact, again, as we talked about before, uh, a change to the fee structure and there was a, a liquidity event attached to that. So there's a few things, obviously, that need to be sorted out about this, but it does appear as if we're, we are moving towards a merger of BH Macro and BH Global. Yes, there's always little things to tidy up, and not least uh, who's going to be on the board of the, of the combined entity, and uh, is it going to be change? Is there going to be some from one and one from the other, and so on? Always an interesting thing if you're interested in the personalities involved, and of course might have a bearing on how well the, the trust performs in the future, given how important governance is these days. Well, that seems to be moving ahead. Meanwhile, back in the real world, what's happening to the performance of the uh, the trust itself? How is uh, Brevin Howard doing uh, during these uh, choppy times? Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of the, the rating on both funds, they're on small discounts. Uh, BH Global on about a 3% discount, BH Macro uh, on about a 2% discount or so over the last six months, which is not quite year to date, clearly. But they're both in positive territory and both quite similar uh, returns at about 6% or so. So as we've noted before, um, they both did very well last year in that sell-off uh, in a March-April time. And this year, certainly year to date, they, they seem to be ticking along quite nicely. Okay, so let's uh, move on and talk about another getting together in the uh, investment trust world. This is the City Merchants High Yield and Invesco Enhanced Income Merger. Again, uh, any more updates on that one? Yep, this has happened. Uh, basically, earlier this week, uh, shareholders of both funds voted in favour of the proposed merger. And so that has now come to pass. Just to remind people, effectively, the assets of Invesco Enhanced Income rolled into City Merchants High Yield, and those assets represented about £130 million or so. So that is now uh, up and running. So City Merchants is the larger fund and the ongoing fund. It will change its name uh, at some stage, uh, I think shareholder approval uh, is required for that. They may have already got it, to be fair, but it normally takes a little bit of time just to come through. But the name will be Invesco Bond Income Plus, uh, and it's going to change its uh, ticker to BIPS, B-I-P-S. Yes, well, that will resonate with one or two people who are, who are familiar with the way that uh, computer screens uh, talk about the way that interest rates are going. So Invesco Bond Income Plus... I suppose that's a slightly more clearer name, but it's rather sad to see the departure of City Merchants. 
that's it on the merger front for the time being. Let's move on to fundraising. There's some more news from Cordiant Digital Infrastructure, CORD, a recent arrival to the UK market, I think. So what have they had to say about things now? Yeah, this is a, this is an interesting one, actually. They announced this week that they're seeking to raise £250 million through a C-share placing. And, and actually, there's, there's upside to that. They could raise up to £500 million. Uh, and the proceeds will be used to fund, as they put it, a particularly attractive, time-sensitive potential uh, transactions. And those transactions are valued at around £800 million. So in the near-term pipeline, that includes a European multi-asset tower and an IoT platform. And I have no idea what an IoT platform is, but it sounds incredibly worthy. Uh, Also a European data center platform, and that has apparently growth prospects, and a North American data center. So they've obviously got a whole bunch of assets uh, ready to go here. In fact, the chairman of of the manager, he's willing to put in uh, a minimum of a million pounds, his own personal money into the seashore, so skin in the game there. This placing will close on the 8th of June. Uh, and the shares will not convert into ordinary shares until at least 80% of the net proceeds have been invested, which is quite standard, to be honest, for a C-share. That's what you'd expect. Uh, There's going to be no management fee on the uninvested C-share cash until 75% of the proceeds are invested or or committed. So this is interesting. I mean, as you you just mentioned or alluded to, this is a a relatively new arrival in the investment company sector. Um, The IPO was back in February this year when they raised £370 million, so a decent IPO. Um, They're targeting a a 9% per annum total return. And actually, as part of this C-share placing or proposals, um, they've actually changed their dividend guidance. So initially they said, well, they hoped all being well uh, to be returning 4p as dividend uh, by the fifth year, uh, the fifth full financial year from launch. Actually, they've said it's going so well that they're looking to pay a 3p dividend in the current year and look to move that to 4p in future years. So um, they seem to be uh, making good progress there. Okay, well, for once I can tell you something, Simon. I know what IoT stands for. It stands for the Internet of Things. And an IoT platform, I'm guessing, is therefore the uh, the kind of software which allows you to put it all together and connect all these things together. Something that we uh, we struggle to do with our weekly podcast, but uh, I'm sure there's some way of automating it out there, which uh, if we had digital infrastructure, we'd be able to do it. Before we move on, let's just say... Obviously, uh, the news has been encouraging and they sense there's quite a lot of demand out there, extra demand out there. And uh, so does that mean the shares are trading at a significant premium already? Yeah, I've got them on about a 5% premium to their, their, it's probably almost their initial NAV. I've got them at an an NAV of just short of 98p and they're trading on a share price of 103p. Okay, so, so far so good. Let's move on to some results and let's start off by talking about Securities Trust of Scotland. STS, Securities Trust of Scotland. They've had some annual results. You Perhaps you might remind us uh, what's been going on there because there's been a change of manager there as well recently, as I, as I recall. That's absolutely right. Yep. So uh, Triasset Management uh, and James Harris took over as manager of this particular investment trust back in November last year. So the annual results that were published this week uh, were for the year to the 31st of March. So effectively, you're getting four and a half months of, of Troy in these numbers. So in terms of those numbers, the NAV total return was up 28.5%. The share price total returns up 23.7%. And that was slightly behind certainly the new comparator index that they've adopted, which is the LIPA Global Equity Global Income Index. 
Uh, that was up 29.9%, so they were a little bit behind their wider peer group. But obviously, it's very early days, certainly in terms of uh, Troy's involvement in this particular company. The total dividend in respect to the year, and this is a global equity income fund, so obviously the dividend's an important part of the story. The total dividend was 5 spot 7p, uh, and that compares with 6 spot 41p uh, for the previous financial year, and that dividend was rebased. And that we were aware of this, that was part of the uh, proposal with the move to Troy and the rebasing of the dividend. So basically, there's a portfolio now, it's a pretty concentrated portfolio of 34 stocks. It's described certainly by the manager as a high quality uh, portfolio, high quality companies. Um, and he estimates that they're generating a 5.3% free cash yield uh, at the moment uh, and funding that uh, dividend for the company. Can you remind me, Simon, whether or not this uh, trust has a, uh, a zero discount policy or not, as Troy does with its other investment trusts? No, that's a good point. And the answer is yes, it does. Um, it adopted it at the time of the appointment of, of Troy. And so far, again, very early days, but it is trading absolutely around NAV. And in the period of these results that Troy was responsible for it, they repurchased 2.2 million shares and they issued 0.6 million shares as well. So um, they will no doubt hope that that kind of swings the other way, that they are in a place eventually that they can issue more shares than they can they need to buy back. OK, we move on and talk about some UK results now, kicking off with... Uh... Aberdeen Standard Equity Income, ASEI, obviously one of the investment trusts in the Aberdeen Standard Stable. I'm not going to say any more about the name of that particular company anymore. How have their results been? Well, they announced interim results for the six months to the end of March this week. Uh, and in that time, their NAV total return uh, was in positive territory. It was up 29%, and that compared with 18.5% for the benchmark. In share price terms, it was even better, actually, up just short of 35% as the discount narrowed from about 12.5% to just uh, tighter than a 9%. So a good period of return for this particular investment trust. And, and to be fair, that follows uh, a difficult period that preceded that. The early part of uh, 2020 was certainly tough. Thomas Moore, uh, the manager of this one, uh, but it benefited in this particular six-month period particularly from its uh, cyclical sector allocations. That was a key driver. I mean, it's worth saying that Thomas More's approach, he tries to identify companies that essentially uh, he believes are mispriced. This fund has a, a mid and small cap bias, particularly compared uh, with its stable mates, the other Aberdeen Standard Equity Income, UK Equity Income Funds, such as Murray Income and Dunedin Income Growth. Uh, and also gearing uh, was positive in this period. Clearly, the market enjoyed a good rebound, uh, and this fund rode that quite nicely. So it's economically sensitive stocks, did well, and also been underweight defensives, which obviously hurt uh, in the early part of 2020, but uh, really drove performance on this time round. It's worth saying as well, just in terms of the revenue return per share, that stood at 7.74p. Uh, and that was down uh, for the comparative period the year earlier. That was uh, when it was 8 spot 35p. Uh, and the dividend for this six-month period came in at 10.4p. In other words, the dividend was uncovered. And there was some commentary in the chairman's uh, report about that and how they would very much like the gap between the revenue that the, the company is earning and its dividend to narrow in time. Indeed, and we'd all hope that would be the case. Um, it's a very competitive sector, UK equity income. And as you said, obviously, the discount has come in on that one because the share price return was better than the NAV total return. How is it looking now in terms of yield and in terms of rating across the uh, the UK equity income sector? 
Yeah, I mean, Aberdeen Standard Equity Income has been one of the beneficiaries of the rebound that we've seen in the UK marketplace, particularly since the vaccine bounce from November onwards. Um, and as mentioned, obviously, it was re-rated slightly in, in that six-month period, and that has continued. So I currently have this on about a 2% discount, and that compares with an average over the last 12 months of about 9.5%. So um, if you took a contrarian view and picked this one up back in October, November last year, you'd uh, probably be feeling quite happy with yourself. So in terms of its NAV total return performance numbers, well, to put some numbers around it over uh, the last six months, it's obviously a very short period, but just to illustrate that, bounds, it's up 16% NAV total return compared with 12% for the FTSE All share. So um, it's certainly done well in that time. And uh, you mentioned the dividend and the concerns that the board had about that. What, what's, how does it compare on a yield basis? Yeah, so it's yield. Um, so you're looking at the dividend on a historic basis. It's a 5.5% yield based on the current share price. That's above average for the UK equity income peer group. The weighted average at the moment is probably about 4%, 4.1%. So you get a yield pickup. But it is uncovered, as you've said. Let's move on and talk about uh, JP Morgan Elect. This is an interesting structure, this trust, and it has three different tickers, JPE, JPEI, and JPEC. I can get my tongue around those. So perhaps you can remind us what JP Morgan Elect uh, is, and uh, their latest results are interim results to the end of February. That's right. As you say, it has three legs to it. There's the managed growth leg, uh, which is effectively a fund of uh, investment trusts and open-ended funds, and that's kind of got a global equity-type mandate. Uh, and the numbers for that one in the period, um, it did very well, actually. NAV total return up about 15.5% compared with 9.9% for its benchmark. And in share price terms, it did even better, up 20.4%. Uh, so that certainly did very well. The, the six of its top 10 holdings really drove the performance. Then there is the managed income leg. Let's get this right. And that also did quite well in the period. I should say the managed income, that's a portfolio of uh, UK stocks. So it has an equity, it sits in the UK equity income subsector. And in this period, the NAV total return was up uh, just over 13%. And that represented an outperformance of its benchmark, which was up 12%. And again, it benefited from a re-rating. Its share price total return was up above 16%. So that's all kind of positive and, and things that work well for it in the period of holdings such as National Express, Hollywood Bowl, and one savings bank. And then the final leg of this particular company uh, is its cash portfolio. And you might not be too surprised to learn that in that six month period, the total return of the cash portfolio was up 0.1%, uh, which is obviously not desperately exciting, uh, but that's cash for you at the moment. Now it's worth noting obviously that shareholders in this particular investment trust can switch between the different legs on a quarterly basis. And one of the advantages is that it's 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 tax efficient. So ordinarily, uh, when you sell an equity, you could potentially, obviously depending on your personal circumstances, but you could potentially trigger uh, a capital gains tax liability. But in this particular instance, you can switch between the, the different legs, uh, and that is not the case. You don't. There is no uh, capital gains tax implication. So, uh, how big is this trust overall? If it's got these three legs to it, what's the uh, what's the total size of it, and is it a popular kind of formula? Well, in terms of the, the legs, um, I haven't got the cash figure to hand, but the managed income, which sits in the UK equity income pot, that's got assets of about 88 million at the moment. The managed uh, growth leg is quite substantial, actually. So its assets stand at uh, above 290 million pounds. 
as I said, I don't have the cache numbers to, to hand, but my recollection is that that would be the smaller element of the three legs. Okay, so let's move on and talk about, uh, we're going to move into the flexible investment sector. This is the home of some of the uh, one-stop shops, if you like, uh, investment trusts, where, uh, which appeal to people who want to have their whole asset allocation managed for them. Uh, and let's kick off with Capital Gearing Trust, CGT, Capital Gearing Trust, who've had their final results. Uh, I note with approval the final results are for the year ending the 5th of April, so they've got them out pretty quickly by comparison with some who are still producing results for the end of last year. So uh, tell us more about uh, the final results of Capital Gearing Trust. Uh, well, it was a very strong period for this particular investment trust. So uh, the NAV total return was up just short of 14% uh, in that year, and that compared with a rise of 1.5% for inflation and an increase in the UK market, certainly in the form of the MSCI UK index of 26.6%. Now, it's worth noting just at the outset that the focus here with this investment trust is their focus on maintaining the real wealth of their shareholders. And so inflation is probably a good starting point in terms of how it performs. They noted that the maximum fall of the NAV during that 12-month period was just 1.5%. And that that is something that they really pride themselves on, that they can protect shareholders' wealth uh, in choppy market conditions. It's certainly been a big success. This is another investment trust that's pursued a, a zero discount policy for some time. And in fact, net assets grew from 470 million at the start of the year to 634 million uh, by the end. And if you remember back not that many years ago, this was actually quite a small investment trust. So they really have seen um, some good growth. But the investment manager's report is always worth a read uh, with this one. A very experienced team, Peter Spiller, Alistair Lang and Chris Clovier. And uh, they talk about how they increased the weighting to risk assets uh, during that year. They increased from 36% to 48%. That was particularly at the start of the year when obviously we'd seen that market sell off and they played the recovery quite well. Uh, and their main area of uh, focus or where they added names uh, was in the specialist property company space. So actually some of the names that we've talked about uh, in weeks gone by, things like GCP Student Living, Empiric Student Property and Tritax Big Box. And there's very much a focus in terms of their property exposure on what they describe as beds and sheds. But they've also got allocations in more conventional equity holdings. They do invest through investment companies, um, but they've also got a substantial uh, allocation to index-linked bonds. That's about 30% of the portfolio. Uh, and they like their dry powder as well. So about 20% in cash cash equivalent. They noted that they're wary uh, on valuations at the moment. And it was ever thus, to be honest. I know that they got excited last year with the market sell-off. But uh, they're very, very much uh, long-term uh, investors and looking to seek to take advantage of periods of market dislocations. Yes, well, as it happens, uh, this week I sat down and had a long conversation with Peter Spiller. If you're interested in this issue of inflation, where we're heading on inflation, whether it's coming, if it's coming in the short term, is it coming in the medium term, you might find this conversation of interest. It's on the Moneymaker Circle subscription service. And we had a 45-minute call about that and about what Capital Gearing has been done, why it went into property last year, what it thinks about equity market valuations at the moment. Uh, and a number of other issues about the investment trust sector as well, what he thinks about where the investment trust sector should be going and why. Peter Spiller, I should say, is the longest serving investment manager of, a, of an investment trust in the UK. And he this year is clocking up his 40th anniversary as manager of the investment trust. Uh, and over that period, it has had a spectacular, um, good track record through uh, good times and bad. So he's always worth listening to. And uh, I hope maybe some of you will do that. 
Let's move on and talk about JZ Capital Partners, JZCP, which also produced annual results, but only up to the end of February. And I'm afraid it isn't quite such good news there. No, it isn't. It isn't. And unfortunately, this is one of the kind of the problem children, I think it's fair to say, of the investment company sector. So they had annual results, as you say, to the end of February. In that time, their NAV was down about 31%. And their net assets, so their US dollar denominated stock, fell from 476 million to 330 million. So within the portfolio, there's three distinct elements. There's a US microcap portfolio, and that's been the long standing element of, of this investment trust. There's also a European microcap portfolio, and they've been running money there for a number of years. But uh, more recently, they've entered into US real estate, and that's where they've come unstuck a little bit. And that was the fall in the NAV in this particular period was down to the large losses in that real estate portfolio. So in terms of what you've got left now, I think there are 18 businesses in the US microcap portfolio, 17 in the European portfolio. Uh, and there are now only two remaining real estate assets where there's actually any equity value. So why is this so important? Well, this is quite a geared uh, investment trust. They've got various different elements of gearing. Uh, and so there's been a little bit of a battle to effectively get their debt sorted out. Um, recently, we learned their senior debt have been restructured and deferred to June next year. Now, that means that they are able to redeem their convertible unsecured loan stock, their culls, um, in July this year. However, um, they do the senior debt, which is worth about 60 million US dollars, and a new liquidity facility uh, mature prior to the 1st of October uh, redemption date for their ZDPs, 1st of October next year, I should say. So the director's report disclosed that there is material uncertainty as to the fund's ability to continue as a going concern, given the potential inability for it to redeem its debt on stated maturities. Right. So this is a reminder of the time old adage that, um, you know, gearing works in both directions. If you're geared when things are going up, it's great. If you're geared when they're going down, you can get yourselves into all sorts of trouble, particularly if your debt is uh, not flexible enough to be adjusted as uh, market conditions change. So what do we think about this one, Simon? I mean, is there a way out of this uh, hole for this trust, do you think? Uh, it remains to be seen. I mean, the, the share price at the moment indicates a discount of about 59%. That's clearly very wide and, and a lot wider than you would see uh, for even those investment trust companies that haven't performed very well. So there's clearly a lot of uncertainty as to the future of this investment trust. The investment advisors are, are quite big personal investors. Uh, they have a lot of skin in the game in this, and they've been involved in trying to sort out the debt. Uh, and there's a lot of work to be done. And, and I should note as well, actually, that there's um, a realisation process underway, and they have been selling uh, some of their, their assets uh, on the US microcap portfolio. And uh, it wouldn't be a surprise to see more to come in that direction. But clearly, work to be done on this one. Indeed. OK, well, let's move on then and go overseas now. And let's talk about uh, Bailey Gifford European Growth Trust, BGEU. Uh, they've had some results and uh, obviously this has not been a great period for their growth style, or at least not as good a period as they had before. Um, and I guess that probably reflected in the results, is it? Yeah, I think that's fair to say, actually. So the interim results of the six months to the end of March, in that time their NAV total return was up 8.7% and that compared with a rise for their benchmark of 12 in share price terms, uh, a little bit better actually, um, up 11.7%. However, it is obviously a long-term game. This is just a six-month snapshot. And they pointed out that since they were appointed uh, as manager, so it was the 16 months before this period end, but since that period of appointment to the end of March, 
the NAV was up 48% compared with 12% for the index. So uh, they're still ahead, or they were still ahead, certainly towards the end of March. But yes, that kind of rotation from uh, growth to value has obviously acted as a bit of a headwind. But certain things are certainly going right for them. So they backed uh, a private company called Northolt, which is, um, my recollection, is a Swedish company involved in batteries for electric vehicles, which is a topic obviously on a lot of people's minds at the moment. And that valuation doubled uh, since September last year. So that was uh, a, a decent investment for them. Uh, they've also issued some new shares as well. So uh, still trading on a, on a premium rating. It's allowed them to issue 2.4 million shares in that time. Okay, so we'll move on and talk about uh, Bearings Emerging EMEA Opportunities. Bit of a mouthful, B-E-M-O. Obviously, uh, Bearings Trust. What have their results been like? Yep, so they had interim results uh, for the six-month period to the 31st of March. And, and actually, again, it's worth noting with this one that this fund used to be called the Bearing Emerging European Fund or Europe Fund, and they had a change of mandate back in November, the 13th of November. So this period of results, the six-month period, kind of encaptures both approaches effectively. But in that time, their NEV total return was up just short of 23%, and that compared with 16.5% for the benchmark. Share price total return is up 24% as the discount uh, narrowed in a little bit. But um, yeah, it's obviously early days in its new incarnation for this particular investment trust. Uh, but obviously, the portfolio has been repositioned. So uh, in the investment manager's report, they pointed out, and it's worth saying that you're right, it is a bit of a mouthful, the name of this company. But effectively, their investment universe has broadened out. So instead of just Eastern European equities, they're now looking at those plus the Middle East plus Africa. So what does that mean? Well, you've seen the weighting to Russia. It was previously 72% uh, at the start of this reporting period. It's now at 30%. And that's just behind their South African exposure, which is 32%. Uh, Saudi Arabia is in there at 16%. And in terms of their sector exposure, well, uh, energy has gone from, I think it was 23%. It's now uh, nearer to 12%. So you can see how the portfolio has broadened out because of the adoption of this new mandate. Yeah, so very quickly, do the markets like the way things are going here? Have we only clues from the rating so far about whether they think this is a, an improvement or not? Well, uh, over the last 12 months, it's traded on an average 12% discount, and it currently finds itself on an 11% discount. So again, I think early days. Early days. Okay, we'll move on and talk about JP Morgan China growth and income. Uh, along with inflation, what's happening in China is one of the big issues preoccupying investors at the moment, whether there is a, a slowdown going on there or what exactly is going on with the uh, the Chinese growth engine, so to speak. This is anyway, JP Morgan, China Growth and Income, JCGI. They've also had some uh, half-year results. That's right. Six months to the end of March uh, and a decent set of results, actually. So, the NAV total return was up just short of 14%, and that represented an outperformance of the MSCI China index. The, the share price total return was also up about 13, 13.4%. So really, it was about stock selection. Um, that was uh, really kind of drove the returns in that period, though their sector allocations were also, as they put it, modestly favourable. But it's worth noting that although this investment trust has probably a bit of a growth bias it also pays an enhanced uh, dividend. So the fund targets a dividend equivalent to 4% of the NAV at the end of the previous financial year. So we already have good visibility on that. So they pay a quarterly dividend, or they are during this current financial year, 5.7p. And they've also been issuing shares as well. I mean, China obviously really came into fashion uh, last year, and this fund certainly had very strong performance record. 
uh, to support it. Uh, and we saw 9.6 million shares issued in that six month period, raising additional capital of just over 70 million pounds. So this makes them, they're the second largest, I think, of the trio that are in Chinese investment trusts. And uh, they're all doing pretty well, I guess. And they're all trading around the same, uh, the same level, are they? Yeah, broadly speaking. So um, the JP Morgan Fund, uh, I've got on about a 1% premium or so at the moment. The Fidelity China Special Situations Fund, very small discount, probably about a 1% discount. And then the Bailey Gifford China Growth Trust, which is the more recent arrival in this subsector, that's still on a premium of about 6%. And I think as we've discussed in recent weeks, they're looking uh, for a fundraising event uh, in the near future. Indeed, they are. Okay, move on and talk about another JP Morgan Investment Trust, this time in Japan, where they have quite a significant presence. So same kind of period, same interim results. What do they look like? Yep, the same period, six months to the end of March, in which time their NAV total return was up about 0.5%. And that was actually uh, an underperformance of their benchmark return, which was up 8.5%. They did a little bit better in uh, share price total return terms. They were up 4.6 on that basis as their discount uh, narrowed. It's quite geared, this one, actually. It's about uh, just short of 13% geared. And it's had, um, again, it's had had some strong numbers uh, over recent years, really benefiting from its kind of growth bias. Clearly, the markets have now uh, rotated towards more value names, and that's obviously been the big headwind for this particular one in the period. But it's still good, strong, long-term numbers. Okay, we'll move on to Schroeder Asia-Pacific Fund, SDP which obviously also operates in the same region, at least, not in the same countries, but in the same region. What are their results like? Yeah, again, so uh, interim results for the six-month period to the end of March. Yeah, good set of results. NAV total return up just short of 20%. That compared with a rise of 14% uh, for the benchmark. And in share price terms, even better, actually. Share price total return was up about 25% uh, as the discount narrowed from 10% to 6%. So a good set of results, really this investment trust benefiting from uh, positive stock selection in Hong Kong, Korea and Taiwan. And actually a nice note uh, on which to end for Matthew Dobbs, who's the veteran. We've talked about Matthew before, uh, the long-standing veteran manager of this one. He stood down uh, at the end of this period. So Richard Sennett uh, and Abbas Barkhorda, I think is how you pronounce his name, they assumed responsibility on the 1st of April. So Matthew ended on a high. Indeed, you did. And uh, remember last year when uh, I asked, uh, did a kind of survey of uh, some professional investment trust investors and asked them uh, who they thought were one of the the losses to the investment trust sector they'd most missed. Most of them did come up with the name of Matthew Dobbs, certainly in their one or top two, three. He had a terrific long term record over over many periods. So quite some quite big shoes to fill. Let's move on and talk about some specialist results now. Let's start with Ecofin Global Utilities and Infrastructure. EGL, they've also had half-year results to the 31st of March. That's right, in which time their NAV total return was up about 13.5% and their share price total return up just over 16%. And that represented an outperformance of the S&P Global Infrastructure Index, that was up 106 and the MSCI World Utilities, which was up 27 So, as I said, a good period for them uh, in that six months. Basically, utilities and renewable stocks uh, really led the portfolio gains, uh, although obviously the swing in US bond yields in early 2021 uh, led to a bit of a sector rotation, and at which stage um, their kind of more cyclical names in the portfolio uh, kind of came through. 
but they paid a total dividend of 3.3p in respect uh, of the period, and that's in line with their full-year target of 6.6p. And the manager positively expects income for the financial year 2021 to increase by around about 15% as a result of dividend growth uh, from the most pandemic resilient companies and also resumption of dividends from those companies who were forced to suspend distributions in 2020. Okay, so this one operates obviously in this uh, infrastructure sector and you thought it would mainly sell on a yield basis. Is that actually right? And it's only been going for about coming up to its fifth anniversary, I believe. How has it been performing over that period? I mean, over the whole period so far? Yeah, so it's trading uh, on a small premium at the moment, probably about a 1% premium or so. Uh, on a kind of historic yield basis, I've got it on about 3.6%. I haven't got the numbers. I think there's actually a reconstruction going back nearly five years. So I don't have the numbers from that point. But over the last three years, three years NAV total return, it's up 49%. Right. And I guess that the share price is around 184p or 85p. So that gives you an indication, I think, of the five-year or the near five-year period. OK, well, we want to talk about Electra Private Equity. That's E-L-T-A. This is a private equity trust. It's been around a fair few years. Uh, it's a name I remember when I first started working in the city many, many years ago. Uh, it was a name that uh, one had to conjure with. What have their latest results been like, Sam? Well, arguably, it's kind of coming to the end of, of an era, actually. I'll just run through the numbers and tell you what's going on. Effectively, this is the uh, interim results for the six months to the end of March, uh, in which time the NAV has increased by about 45.5%, and its net assets stood at about £197 million at the end of March. But just to, uh, without kind of getting into the history of electro private equity, because uh, we'd be here an awfully long time, um, but just briefly, a number of years ago, Sherborne Investors, which is uh, Edward Bramson's vehicle, took a stake in this particular investment trust uh, and agitated for change, uh, which saw Electra Partners, who the investment team that had been involved with this investment trust since its launch back in, I think, the 70s, they departed, they left the scene. There was a, a period of realizations. Uh, a lot of the, the portfolio was sold down. Uh, and effectively, the last few years, we've seen it in, in effect a state of a managed wind down. And it's been left with two or three key holdings. So TGI Fridays, or, or Fridays as it's now known, uh, at the end of March, that represented about 74% of the NAV. That holding was valued at £146 million. Uh, they've also got a, a stake in Hotter Shoes. These are all controlling stakes as well. Uh, and that was valued at £19 million, represented 10% of the NAV. Uh, and actually, there was a, another company there called Sentinel, and they've sold that subsequently. They sold it back in April, so since the, the period end. But there's always been this question, what would happen to the remaining companies in the portfolio? And what they've announced with these results is uh, their big idea is that they're going to demerge Fridays onto the FTSE main market in the third quarter of this year. So it will become a, a listed company in its own right. And then Hotter, Hotter Shoes, that will uh, move to AIM effectively through the reclassification of electro private equities equity in the fourth quarter of this year. So if their plans all go through, there will be no such thing as electro private equity come the year end. But it's a way of effectively providing an exit for shareholders uh, in this one. Yes, as you say, I was aware that it was on its way out, which is in a way a kind of sad thing because it was, I think, started in 1976. And uh, it's always been in and out of the headlines for various reasons that we don't need to go into. But there was always been some drama around this one. But it's sad to see it go. But uh, if you uh, like to invest in a company called Hotter, then you know where to go. It goes to go, to go to the AIM sector and you'll be able to pick up some shares there for whatever they're worth at that point. 
Let's move on quickly then. We've got a couple of property results we can talk about. We're not going to go through all the announcements this week because they're coming quite thick and fast again now. But let's pick up a couple of results. Let's start with LXI REIT, which has annual results out to the 31st of March. Yep. So LXI REIT, this was a good set of results for that 12-month period to the end of March. So the NAV total return in that time was up 5.6%. The shareholder total return was up nearly 22%, 21.7 to be precise. So this particular property company has kind of bucked the trend, really. It has performed quite well. Its portfolio is valued at £938 million. The portfolio is 100% let or pre-let, and 95% of the rents uh, contain index-linked or fixed uplifts. And I would suggest that's probably the clue into why this investment trust or investment company has performed uh, so well compared with a number of the property companies, uh, investment companies that have struggled. And in fact, LXI REIT uh, is trading on about a 10% premium at the moment. So a good set of results. It's worth just uh, touching in terms of its uh, dividends. So adjusted earnings per share came in at 7.5p and that was up 18% from the previous financial year and dividends per share totaled 5.55p. That was down slightly from the previous year, down 3.5%, but they're targeting an annual dividend of 6p per share for their next financial year, financial year 2022, and that represents a 4% increase on their pre pandemic rate. And that, again, sets them apart from the majority of uh, their property investment company peers. Yes, they have done well during this period. And uh, obviously, they're investing in the high quality end of the market from a property investment trust investor's perspective, at least. Let's talk about Ediston Property Investment Company, Epic. They've also had some interim results out. That's right. They had their interim results out for the period to the 31st of March. Their EPRA NAV was slightly down about 2%, although in total return terms, they were in positive territory. Um, The share price was actually stronger up just short of 40% as the discount narrowed from 41% to 18%, though it's worth noting that obviously 31st of March 2020, i.e. the end of their last financial period, was probably the low point, uh, one would suspect, following the sell-off last year. In terms of the the rent, well, just short of 96% of the rent due for the period uh, has been collected, uh, although they note that the contracted rental income has declined about 9% on a like-for-like basis since the outbreak of the pandemic. But in terms of where they are in terms of dividends, they paid uh, dividends at an annualised rate of about 4p during the period, and that was covered, 134% covered. And actually, since the period end, they've increased their dividend by 25% to an annualised rate of 5p per share, and that compares with their pre-pandemic rate of 5.75p. So they haven't quite made up all the ground yet, but they're heading in the right direction. OK, and let's move on, talk finally about Tritax Eurobooks. They've also had some interim results out. This is the European sister trust, if you like, to the uh, the big box uh, trust that invests in the shed part of the beds and the sheds. The big boxes that you see by the motorways where you uh, a lot of goods are in transit on your way to you via Amazon or whoever it might be. Uh, so what have their results been like? Yep, so uh, a positive set of results. This is for the six-month period to the end of March this year. Their NAV per share was up 2.5%. And in terms of their total return, that was up just 2.3%, so in positive territory. They've actually raised a bit of money recently. They raised £230 million not that long ago, uh, and that was an oversubscribed uh, equity issue. But they've also grown uh, their dividend as well. 
Um, that uh, totaled 2.5 euro cents uh, in the period, and uh, that compares with 2.2 in the, the comparable period last year. So the portfolio, this, this one is growing actually. So it's at 842 million euros uh, as at the end of, of March. The dividend was 79% covered by adjusted earnings, although actually it's probably a little bit misleading because it reflects the dilution from the recent equity issue. So they've got quite a bit of capital uh, to deploy, but they're quite uh, positive on the prospects for, for rolling out uh, across Europe in the near term. So just so overall, then, they're obviously in a specialist sector, but just looking at the property sector overall, we say we haven't covered all the NAV announcements this week, but uh, we've covered the results that are out there. And we've been saying for a little while that uh, the property sector, the discounts have been coming in a little bit in the general commercial property area. Uh, that may not be a total surprise if you think that if people are concerned about inflation, I mean, commercial property is normally regarded as a real asset. In other words, one that will deliver above inflation returns or at least maintain pace with inflation and hopefully make a little bit more on top. But of course, they've had the pandemic to deal with and that's caused a lot of dividend cuts, which are now being slowly repaired. But I would suspect that if you think that we are through the worst of the pandemic, and we don't yet know for certain whether we are, but if we are, and people are worrying about inflation, you would expect commercial property to be looked at quite favourably because they've still got some quite attractive yields out there at the moment, even with their reduced dividends, have they not? So what's your thoughts on the on the commercial property sector uh, at this stage, Simon? No, I'd echo your sentiments, to be honest. And we have seen uh, a re-rating. I mean, there's quite a difference in ratings across the property sector. So uh, you know, going back to our friends at Capital Gearing Trust, CG Asset Management, beds and sheds have, have clearly been in demand. That's where we see premium ratings, frankly. But even for those more kind of general commercial property vehicles, they have been re-rated. Though clearly, as we've discussed before, there are big issues over the office element of those portfolios and the retail element of that. They, they seem to be the millstones around the neck of those particular property funds. But overall, um, they're moving in the right direction. And I think as they can demonstrate their rent cover is increasing, and that's flowing through to um, dividends that are slowly being marched up to those kind of pre-pandemic levels. I think people are going to take a lot of comfort from that. And of course, in the wider context also, we have the troubles that are afflicting the open-ended property fund sector, where we saw one of the big insurance companies has announced that it's closing its uh, property fund because it can't see a realistic future for it. It's been gated, like a lot of the other trusts, the open-ended funds have been gated. And... uh, you know, there are issues there because uh, investment trusts do have some significant advantages over open-ended uh, funds in the commercial property sector, not least the fact they can use gearing more effectively and uh, they don't have to uh, this mismatch and have to keep a lot of cash for redemptions. So uh, you would expect that might also be coming into focus and be another source of uh, demand for commercial property. We shall see. But of course, a lot does depend on what you think is going to happen to the pandemic and what you think is going to happen to inflation. And that is, as you said at the very outset, Simon, that is the big issue at the moment. No doubt in time, the markets will move on to worry about something else. But uh, that's where we are today. And on that note, I'd like to thank you for your time, as always, Simon. And we'll look forward to talking again next week. And uh, we'll hope to have another announcement about music royalties by then. This has been a Moneymakers Investment Trust podcast. These podcasts are independently produced and edited and are available on all leading podcast channels. You can sign up on the Moneymakers website, www.money-makers.co, to be notified every time a new podcast is available. Thank you for listening. And if you want more news, analysis, interviews, and other investment trust content, don't forget to take a look at our premium service, The Moneymakers Circle, available now at the website.